Te- Whoa. Test one, two. Everybody ready? We're about to do a uh, live podcast here exclusively for the members of the Chase Sapphire. We got, a, we got somebody rooting in the background. Any fans of the Eric Anders Lang show in here? Adventures in Golf. Even good. Dylan, have you seen Adventures in Golf? I have, yeah. You have? Uh, just kidding. He hasn't. That's okay. <laughs> we're going to get, you've got about five hours of programming I'm going to supply you with after the interview. Um, today we're going to do an interview with PGA Tour player Dylan Fratelli. Everyone, round of applause now. I would do the hat tip, but don't have my hat on, sorry. Normally you would have a hat. Yeah. What's your go-to, uh, you know, reception for the applause after, uh, you, you, had a, you had a good hole yesterday, didn't you? What happened? Yeah, first hole, drove it right down the middle, hit a wedge that went one bounce, two bounce, boom, in the hole. And so then everybody cheers, and what do you do? I just, I guess I remember back in the day, Retief Huerson was a guy I looked up to, or Goosen, as you guys say, and he always used to just do the coolest little hat tip like this. So I started copying that, and now it's just habit. It's just, just touch the hat. Gentle hat, right at the top. Have you ever thought about changing it up, or no? No. I think that's a classic, just easy, very cool way of doing it. Yeah. Tip of the hat. Um, have you ever noticed... Do you, do you ever watch golf on television? Not really. I, I try to stay away from it, to be honest. It's Why? My, it's my day job, so... When I've been out just seven, eight hours and I get home, it's probably the last thing I want to be looking at on TV. Right. It's, it's sort of, uh, do, do you find that, because sometimes I came to golf from a, from a filmmaking background. So sometimes for me, watching movies can be a bit tiring because you sort of just analyze every shot. Do you, do you find that it does that for you? Or? Yeah, I'm a pretty analytical guy in general. And I, I say that about most sports when I'm watching baseball, or football, or anything. I'm like, I'm over there. Oh, yeah, the infield shifted over and... Yeah, okay, pitchers, ch- no, he's called it off. It, people are like, Dill, can you just relax? Like, this is baseball. You should be eating hot dogs and relaxing and just enjoying yourself. But Well, golf is by nature. It, it, because of the time in between shots, I think it sort of uh, provides a proclivity to over-analysis, would you say? Yeah, for sure. I think the announcers and commentators in today's game have found a niche for coming up with technical things that absolutely are incorrect, even right. though... They're 100% sure it's right. Well, it, it's something where if you're confident enough, everyone will believe you. No, for sure. I mean, it's just about filling the air. But last week, and he was telling me, Dill, it's so tricky when you're on live TV. You've got six hours to fill. You just have to come up with stuff. You're either under a time crunch because the guy's counting you down to a commercial break, or you've got so much time that you just need to fluff it up and fill, fill in the air. Yeah, that would be stressful. Um, by the way, anyone listening, if you have any questions for Dylan, uh, we'll open it up for some questions later. Um, I think, I mean, there's so many interesting things, I think, about you and your career. You're 28. This is your freshman uh, rookie year. What do, what do you think about that? It's kind of crazy. I mean, most people don't know that. I played probably 10, 12 events on the PJ Tour last year, but I didn't have any status. So all the media guys just all their write-ups on rookies to look after. No one even thought about me because they thought, oh, I was just on tour last year. But no, this is my true rookie season. I've played three years in Europe already, so this is my seventh major. So it's it's pretty crazy that I'm actually a rookie. I'm 28 years old. And yeah, it's, it's cool, though. I definitely have an opportunity yet to win the Rookie of the Year race and hopefully keep a card and, and grow in stature. So are you saying that you don't actually feel like a rookie? No, there's no way. I mean... I lost out to John Rahm on the European Tour rookie race, and he was exempt to all the majors. He played a great year of golf, and he was a rookie. He was 
top 20 in the in the world rankings before he started the season. So I'm not sure how a rookie could be top 20 in the world. That's kind of how I feel now. I've played a bunch of majors. I've played many PGA Tour events, but technically I am still a rookie. What would you say to date is, uh, what, what do you look at as kind of the thing that you're most proud of accomplishing uh, in golf? Definitely the highlight of my career was making the putt to win the 2012 National Championship for Texas. That's, I mean, biggest moment I've had so far. Winning in Europe twice is huge, but that, I mean, a team event, being surrounded by the university, I mean, everything that goes into that makes that moment that much bigger. So that still stands out, but... That was, uh, that was also uh, in sudden death. Yeah, it was the final match. It was the first year, sorry, the third or fourth year they went to match play, and number one, number two ranked teams in the country playing each other. All four matches were finished. I was on the 18th green at Riviera with Corey Whitsett battling it out for the team victory. Did you know at that point the value of that putt? What was the length of it, and what was the read, and how stressed out were you? It was actually an amazing moment. I, mean, I can take you down. It'll take a bit of time, but let's I had, go. I had the assistant coach Ryan Murphy. He's leading the Texas women's team now. They're probably one of the top two teams in the country. He walked with me pretty much my whole senior year and got over that putt. We knew I was the last match on the course, and it was down to this. I had the birdie putt. Corey had a long par putt. I get bogey putt. Anyway. Murph comes back to me and he looks at me and he says, uh, what, what do you see? And I looked at him, I said, Murph, I've got it. I know exactly what it's doing. Don't worry. And he, his face just went, thank goodness. I don't have to try and get inside Fratelli's head now. And I, yeah, I saw the line right to left, straightforward putt from 30 feet because it's going left for sure. Did you just say straightforward putt from 30 feet? There was no thinking involved. It's tough to make it, but it's right to left. I know that. So I knew I had to aim it right at the hole and get it some general speed. The nice thing is I had two putts to win, but ended up making it with speed that hit the back of the cup. And when the Longhorn Network did a little interview with the whole team, Spieth gives a great, he goes, Fratelli just needs to two-putt it. And he gets out there and hammers it. I mean, that, that ball was going five feet. I mean, it went in, but <laughs> still don't. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, he won't let me live that one down. But yeah, it went in, great celebration, team stormed the green and... I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing moment to finish my amateur golf career and my collegiate career, too. I mean, putting in and itself, right? That is a game. Where do you put the most value in success in golf between, you know, driving, approach, short game, or putting? I, I, I don't delve too much into the stats. I, for me, it's ball striking. Ball striking is definitely the heavier category. But my ball striking is really good. So for me to improve that is going to take a lot of effort to gain very little little margin. But my When you putting, say ball striking, you mean getting it two to three to feet closer to the hole. Yeah, tee to green. So hitting fairways, hitting it on the correct side of the fairway, and from there hitting it into the greens more often, hitting on the correct side of the hole, making your misses better. That for me is probably 80% of the game. And, and are you looking at stats? Are you trying to say, okay, this week I want proximity better by 5 or 10%? What do you no, want? I haven't really delved into it that deeply, but obviously working on your swing, working on ball flight, working on spin rate, getting those things dialed in will increase all of those factors. Some, some weeks I've had to decide, look, I'm going to be more aggressive here. The greens are soft. I'm a very calculated player. Sometimes I'm too conservative, so I've tried to bring that into my game now. Now you're playing on the PJ Tour. Guys make birdies, yeah, they're good. You can't just hit it 30 feet every time. You've got to be more aggressive. 
you, you said that word conservative. Uh, that tends to come up more often in majors. Am I right? Do you, do you, do you find that coming into your game, this being, this is your eighth? Yes, uh, seventh, seventh major this now. Is seven. Yeah. Do, you, do you think about that word in the, in the days of preparation? For sure, especially at a course like this. Beth Page is super tough, super long. It doesn't help you trying to smash a drive 10 yards longer or hit that iron shot five yards closer. What matters is you're on the short stuff in the fairway and you're on the green putting for birdie. If you have a birdie putt on 16 of the 18 holes here, you're not going to shoot over par, or you shouldn't shoot over par. It's, well, you, you shouldn't. <laughs> I, 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 I might not. When you look at the green, specifically at Bethpage Black, do you, are you looking at the center? Or are you looking at a side? How, how, how do you break up the greens? Do you look at a shelf? Usually it's just the pin position. So we'll get the pin positions the night before, draw it in the yardage book, have a slight plan of where we want to leave it, and that's usually below the whole uphill putt. Obviously, it's a major championship. The greens are going to be rolling super quick, and you need to be below the hole so you're not being defensive over it. If you're being defensive over a putt, you've pretty much given up your chance of making the putt. So if you're under the hole, you can roll at the hole and give yourself an opportunity of making the birdie. That's the best way to do it. But again, it starts from the tee for me. Some guys start at the green. I start at the tee. I'm just trying to hit the fairway. If I'm feeling under pressure sometimes, I don't even look at the pin on the tee box. Some guys plan it out that they want to be right side of the fairway, under the hole. Sometimes I'm like, this is a tough tee shot. I can only focus on one thing, and that's hitting the fairway. Wow. Uh, what holes here have you found that to be true? I mean, probably all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I said to my caddy on a couple of those out there, I was like, I mean, we just need to either find the bunker out here or hit the <laughs> short cross, because if you're in the rough, you're only gone 80 to 100 yards at most. Some of these bunkers are pretty deep. They are, but they're a whole lot better than the rough. That's a really good point. See, that this is, I need to play golf with you, because I just, I can't, sometimes don't know course management. Yeah, I mean, one hole, I'm trying to think which one it is. Number six, my caddy wanted me to hit a three-wood between two bunkers. And I was like, why don't we just bomb driver over the hill and go down there and have a wedge in? Yeah. And he was like, Dill, that's just conservative. You've got to hit the fairway. The fairway trims down after the blind spot yeah, there. Yeah, narrows down. I, I hadn't seen the course, so I couldn't see what was over the hill. But then I got up there, and I was like, you're right, John. Just put it here on the flat. And then I said, add to that, if we miss it left or right, we're in a bunker, we can get a golf club on it and hit it somewhere by the green. Right. If we're in the long rough, you can't get it to the green. So right. that's, that's the trend that flips. Normally on a golf course, you're avoiding bunkers. But out here, you may actually want to miss your drive in some of the bunkers. Whoa, so you want your landing area to exist inside of a bunker, potentially? When possible. Obviously, wow. you don't want to give up yardage. You don't want to lay back 30 yards and be under a lip. But what about 18? 18 today, perfect example. Okay. I hit a drive off there. I was playing one ball on the back nine. Pulled it left, win got it, went in that last bunker on the left-hand side, okay. far left-hand corner. So you had like 130 in? Yeah, had 122 to the pin out of the bunker, hit a wedge up to 15 feet. I mean, nothing serious. But if I was in the rough, I would be trying to hack a 9-iron, trying to run it up the hill maybe and whole different ball game. Okay, so last shot, really technical golf. 122 out of a bunker, the hole is 30 feet above your head on 18. Yeah. What... Talk me through the shot, the club, everything. I mean, I'm just like, I need to get better at golf, and I think you're, <laughs> you're going to help. <laughs> I mean, to put it in layman's terms, <laughs> just hit the golf ball first. That's honestly what I was thinking. My last thought was catch it clean, hit the golf ball, and try and get the, the yardage right. It was below my feet a bit, and there was a bit of sand behind it, so I had to get a little steep on it, catch the ball first, and then clear the lip in front of me. So it was just make contact, <laughs> 
And if the speed of the club is somewhat correct, it's going to be up on the green somewhere. What, what club was it? Pitching wedge. Pitching wedge. Yeah. Like sort of a choke down. Three-quarter. Three-quarter. It's a 135 full golf, golf club for me, so it's just a three-quarter, 120 shot. I could talk about this for like 8,000 <laughs> years. Um, you weren't always, golf wasn't always first for you, though. You made a decision to come to golf after getting a degree in geography? Yep. Yeah, I graduated from the University of Texas, Hook'em. Uh, yeah, it was a big part of my, I guess, life growing up. My mother was a teacher, and she was a phys ed teacher back in South Africa. And for me, coming to the States was a, a way to double down on getting an education while also pursuing my dreams in playing golf. In South Africa, it's way too academically intensive. You couldn't study and play golf and be proficient at both. So the NCAA system allows you the time to get a degree while also excelling on the sports spectrum. What... What is geography? I mean, I'm not kidding, but seriously, what is it? Is it, is it cultural? Is it, uh, is it the earth? Is it okay, like dirt? So this is what I normally get. Everyone says, what did you major in? I said, a geography major. And they go, oh, so you always know where you're going. That's great. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, there's a whole lot more to it. It's not just about places, but there's three, three, three angles in geography. You've got physical geography, which is land, mountain, rivers, all that stuff. You got human geography, which is where people live, why they live there, demographics, that's the whole new spectrum. GIS mapping, that's the third one. So you take those three spheres and you mix them all together, there's different classes built into it, but yeah, GIS, human geography, physical geography, those are the three broads. So what about geography away after being finished with the programs? What to you is the most fascinating part? For me, probably human geography. There were some really cool things we did in college pertaining to census data, mapping it. We had to go and get a bunch of census data for X city and build a map with that. So I can't remember exactly what the projects were, but you would get the city of, I don't know, not New York's too big, let's say Austin, Texas. You'd pull out some data saying, okay, age groups, break it down, 20 to 30. You had a spreadsheet, so you could choose whatever you want. Age groups 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, income levels. Plug it in, make income level 50,000 to 100,000 for age group X, a red blot on the map. And you'd basically build, you could build it any different ways if you knew what you were doing, so. So you're basically seeing sort of physical patterns of people making decisions in the same way. Yeah, and that's, I think it's huge now in, in any sort of industry to know, okay, where are we gonna put a, Chick-fil-A, where are we going to put a bank? That, that's what they do. It's all this GIS modeling that tells them what's the average income in this neighborhood, what's the average age of a person that's living there, and that's, that's probably the coolest thing that, that we did in my geography classes. They might use it to figure out where to put a golf course. That too. What, uh, so so what, what, have you had any takeaways from that that were kind of interesting of learning about how people live that, that kind of struck you as an aha moment? Um, well, something that pertained directly to me was when I made a bit of money early on in my career, I didn't know what to do with it. I've heard of money managers. I've heard Bummer. Of, <laughs> heard of money managers and guys that have lost money, made money, and I thought, you know what? There's one thing I do know. I did a project on the city of Austin and people flows. Round Rock was the fastest growing city while I was in college, and that's the first town north of Austin. Austin was number two in the U.S., fastest growing cities, 1,500 people a week coming there. So I figured, you know what? People are coming here. They need a place to stay. I'm going to double down on real estate. So I bought a house first up, 
paid the mortgage off inside a year. As soon as I made a bit of more money, bought another house, rented that out. So I've got a few houses now in Austin that I rent out, and it's a pretty, pretty good business idea in my opinion. Can I give you some money? <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, Bo Hostler is also into this. Yep. Do you guys ever do this together? Or do you talk about it? No, no. He, I mean, he was living in Dallas before, and now he's moved back to Austin, but... We don't chat too much. Bo's, Bo's too cool for me. He, he rather talks about the fun things. He doesn't like to get into the nitty-gritty. He wears a visor. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a big uh, consideration. So, so, you know, but it's interesting, the, the ge- geography mindset. Now, as you go into the world of being a traveling golfer, traveling athlete, traveling person, uh, as you travel around now, what interests you the most about the places that you end up visiting for, for golf? The other part of that geography spectrum is human geography. So I remember going to a class, (laughs) this teacher was trying to explain words such as nation, language, history, and he was basically just saying, like, what is a nationality? Is it a country? Is it a thing that people cling to? Is it, and all these ideas kind of blew my mind. You got countries now that are wanting to separate and join up and what is identity? How does it relate to things? And, and that's kind of cool for me, especially in Europe. You've got so many different countries with different languages, but they're all in the European Union. Well, for now they are, but that stuff's pretty cool to learn language, learn different people's identity and what they cling to and how that relates on a world spectrum and how you see yourself. For me, I mean, am I South African? Am I American? I've been in South Africa 18 years. I've been in the States 10 years now. People say I don't really have a South African, or when I go to South Africa, I don't have a South African accent. But they don't hear it. They don't hear it. No. Wow. They say, oh, Dill, you sound so American. What's what's going on? I'm like, Come on, I still sound South African. What uh, what do you think? I mean, do you have a, a an understanding of who you are in that way? I, I would say I've got a bit of Texan in me now. That's what I'd say. So. University of Texas. What is that? <laughs> Whatever. You can let that mean. A lot of steak? <laughs> what is a Texan? I'm curious. What, what, what defines a Texan? I don't know. I, I think the family values, the good southern charm, that, that kind of idea relates to South Africa a lot. I always tell people when they ask me what is it like over there, I say it's pretty similar to South Africa. Nice down-home people, pretty friendly, and I've definitely... Sort of, I'd had to. I had to mellow towards that direction because when I got to Texas freshman year, Cody Gribble, another player on tour, he would always look at me and say, Dill, what are you saying? I don't understand you. Just, just speak American. What, just come on. We, we don't understand you. So I had that for six months. And eventually I figured, look, I'm going to change the way I pronounce a few words just to make this transition a little bit easier. Well, I mean, that doesn't seem that unreasonable. <laughs> I had to explain to him that American wasn't a language, though. That was kind of tough. American is not a language. Yeah. It's, it's, I have called it that, though, every <laughs> once in a while. You uh, have the opportunity to compare golf amongst cultures all over the world. That's one of my favorite things, uh, is to see through this sort of microcosm of golf how we choose to live in different places. How different is golf in uh, South America versus, I'm sorry, South Africa versus America? It's, it's tough to say without sounding negative, I, I would say here it's an elitist sport. It's seen by the majority of Americans as an elitist sport. Like, oh, you're a golfer, you must be upper middle class, you got lots of money, you play the game in South Africa. I would say maybe middle class or even below middle class, you could join a club and be a member and play. So in that respect, 
it's open to a lot more people in South Africa. And here in the US, I wish it would open up just that little bit more. I mean, your population here is so huge. If you could just drop the medium membership fee in the US by three, four, five thousand dollars, you would have three, four, five million people maybe play the game. And it's it's something, it's definitely a barrier to entry for most people. Oh, I can't afford the clubs. Five grand for a set of clubs and a full set of, uh, it's just too much money. No one can afford that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a problem that I see a lot as well. I mean, it's so great to be here this week celebrating a public course that really returns the, uh, the service to its citizens and its community. Um, and even if you're an out-of-state resident, playing here is not that unreasonable. Yep. I mean, 150 bucks to play a major championship venue is like, it, I don't think it exists anywhere else yeah. in the world. I don't think anyone would think twice about that. You can play a course that has hosted major championships, 150 bucks. Yeah, for sure. And a great course in and of its own right. I mean, even the red course where, you know, it, it's sort of being used up for facilities, but yeah. that's a great course. Um, but I see that problem. It's not just, uh, you know, here versus there. It's sort of all over the world that, that golf is a much more accessible uh, game. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we have, too, here is like um, it, it's, it's also sort of just the way it's perceived in some ways, too. And I think that's what's so great about the PGA bringing this here is that you sort of begin to open up that perception of how important it is to make the game accessible to yeah, more people. For sure. I mean, I played with Tony Romo last week in Dallas, and, I mean, he had 300, 400 fans following him at all times, and they were all football fans. Yeah, Romo, number nine. They were screaming out there, and it's like, may not be golf etiquette, but it's great to see. The guys are excited. They've come out to a golf tournament. They probably never played golf before, but here your quarterback idol hero is right in front of you. You can't go and stand on the sideline at a Cowboys game, but here, hey, pros are right here. Like, it's amazing to see. So there are definitely ways that the tour and golf tournaments can expand their fan base, and I, I hope they slowly or quickly delve into that. Yeah, he, I think he is going to do a lot for the game of golf, and hopefully uh, that can happen more and more and more with sort of that crossover. Why do you think all athletes sort of end up coming to golf? I mean, you've seen it. You played with... Uh, you played with a couple surfers, right? Yeah. You played with a couple of footballers. I mean, why do they all choose golf? I mean, here you're here playing golf, and then all these other athletes want to be great at it. I don't know. One of those surfers you mentioned was Courtney Conlog, a lady surfer out of California, and the tour had us do a little media thing and quizzed us, what are the similarities in surfing and golf? And we kind of fumbled around with the answer, but I feel like most people see golf as an escape from daily life. It's not a desk it's not a small little cubicle it's out in nature you're happy to be there most of the time as long as the weather's pretty good and then throw in there a little mental challenge physical challenge and before you know it you're going to be addicted by one of those one of those three things in my opinion yeah so with golf uh, my favorite parts about it is you basically get to go walk through a manicured garden yeah. you played perhaps one of the most beautiful courses on earth uh, recently with a surfer, yeah. <laughs> Cypress Point. Was that, uh, what, can you tell us about that experience? Like, like wh was that your first time playing there? Yeah, it was my first time at Cypress. Uh, I took a long shot. I had a friend, I met a guy a few months before who was a member at Cypress. He said, oh, when you're playing AT&T, I'll have you out at Cypress Point. We can go play. I thought, hang on, let me make a phone call. I know Kelly Slater's playing AT&T. So I mentioned, hey, Kelly, would you like to go play Cypress on the Tuesday? And he said, well, yeah, sure, okay, let's do it. And I was like, this is amazing. Get to play with Kelly Slater and Cypress Point. I mean, yeah. When does that ever happen? And Kelly birdied 16. 
he hit a three wood in there. I mean, you would have seen the Instagram footage. Three wood from 256 or something, straight at the flag, eight feet away, made birdie. And it was crunch time as well. They were two down, three to play. Me and my partner against him and his partner. And then he birdied 18 to square the match. 18 is not the, 18 is not the, wor- it's not the hardest hole, but it's a weird hole. Yeah. He'd played there before, so he knew where to hit he it. He knew what to do. Three wood I mean, and then eight iron or something, right? He still right? made a 10, 12-footer to tie the match. I mean, this is a guy that plays golf probably more than most people, but he's a three handicap. What do you, uh, you, you play golf recreationally. Is it the same? How different is it for you when you're out there having fun at, a, at an old course with, with some friends? It's kind of strange for me. I actually, everyone says, what's your lowest round ever and when was it? And I say, 63 tournament round. I've never gone lower than that. When I play social rounds, I tend to like get a little too loose and I don't focus. So I've never had this like breakout 59 or 60 when I'm just at my home club back in South Africa. It seems to be the focus of championship golf that gets me playing my best. You sort of, uh, you just sort of like are having fun. You don't really stick to the routine maybe or? That's probably what it is. I'm not as focused. I'm not really... I don't have that drive. The drive is often what comes in when I have to beat somebody. It's the head-to-head or the beating the field, or if I'm only playing against you or someone else, a buddy that's a 10 handicap, like, I feel sorry for the guy. Why should I'm I go? I'm sick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to drop a 65 on you. I feel like that'd be a waste. Right. <laughs> Unnecessary 65. <laughs> I can never claim the same. Um, you, uh, you, you... In South Africa, there's some interesting spots, actually, that we're going to head to for Adventures in Golf this year. And I'm curious to know if you've been. Uh, have you heard of or been to Hans Marensky? No, but I have heard of it. It's a, it's a golf course inside of a safari. Yeah. So you'll check in there at the clubhouse, and they'll say, ah, back nine's closed today. There was a leopard kill on the 17th green, so we'll just have you play the front just to be safe. The front twice. Yeah. What uh, and uh, is it is it how is it regarded? Is it in in local the, the Johannesburg culture? I, I would say it's one of those like tick box items, like check it off the list, go and do it. But I don't think anyone goes out there consistently unless they have a home nearby or it's. I mean, I wouldn't like to go and play a golf course with lions and leopards and elephants and the possibility of running into those guys. Yeah, it. it someone did die. There Which actually makes it a great episode. Was for that the us. crocodile story? Uh, I can't remember. I think it might have been an elephant. I think <laughs> it was like a, I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting confused looks. If anyone has a question, we're going to dial that up in a second. Um, and then as well, we're going to go to Mauritius, where you had a, a historic, you, you had some success yeah. there. Yeah. What is Mauritius like? Most people don't know what it is, first of all. It's an island, it right? Yeah, it's an island off the east coast of Africa on the it, other side of Madagascar. Is it a country? It's a country. It's yeah. its own country. Yep. So it was a French colony back in the day that gained independence, I think, in the 80s. I'm not 100% sure, but pretty recent and beautiful island. I mean, everyone from South Africa tends to go there at least a few times in their lifetime and do the whole resort thing, play golf, swim, surf. Have you played the course? Is it, is it Isle aux Surfs? Yes. Isle aux Surfs. Isle aux Surfs. French, so... Island of Deer. It's Island like a, of Deer. It's like a mini mini deer that they have there that's native. So, And this is the course that is on an island. Yeah. The only thing that exists on the island is the course. Yeah. it's. I guess it's some kind of nature reserve to some point, and they somehow got away with putting a golf course on there. Golf can be good for the natural surroundings without too many, you know, uh, additions. What Have you played it? I have. Um, 
I don't want to talk about my scores there. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> They've apparently cleared up a lot of the holes. It was basically they gave them a footprint of X amount of square meters or yards to use, and the fairways are like 15 yards wide with trees either side. It was so difficult when I played it, so when you go there, it'll be slightly easier. You can miss it a bit more, but I sh- might have shot two scores in the 80s out of three rounds in a tournament I played there four years ago. I wish I had been playing against you that day. I could have <laughs> claimed some victory, maybe. Possibly. <laughs> Do you prefer match play to stroke play? No, stroke play is definitely my, my format. I'm all about long birdies, pars, birdies, pars. I'm not one to fire in eagles and make some fancy things happen in 18 holes. Is that, because uh, in you know the UK, match play is much more common. Is that, what's the take in South Africa? So in South Africa, it's probably a two-thirds, one-third split in favor of stroke play. We yeah. play team events. We have provinces in South Africa, not states. So we have each age level will have like a national championship. You'll play against all the other states in the country, and that's usually match play. Right. So you'll be head-to-head against each state. But there's a South African amateur championship, South African junior, um, and then two other major, the Northern Amateur and the Western Province Amateur. Those are the four or five biggest tournaments in South Africa, and they're match play. Right. Um, I think I'm winding down here. Unless anyone has a question, I'm I'm kind of curious to know how to bring it back to Beth Page. What do you do on four? It's the it's it's sort of the most interesting hole for me on the course. What are you thinking of on the tee, and what do you what's a good hole for you? You're gonna have to jog my memory. What is uh, four? Four is the uh, five fifteen par five with sort of the oh, the green way up high. Yeah, and like the yeah. I, the sort of split fairway. I hit driver. Four iron and three iron. I played two shots yesterday, and they both went over the back. So, really? Yeah. So, because maybe five iron doesn't quite get on the front. I told my caddy, if we can't hold the green, we're laying up short right. Yeah. If you hit something whole high right, you're looking up the green. It's a really easy chip shot to pretty much every pin. So yeah. it's going to take a five iron or less. Or if I have a perfect five wood yardage, I can put some spin on that. Anything else, I'm just going to lay up short right. Do you, uh, what's your preferred shot shape? Fade. Yeah, so I mean, if a fade, I feel like you should be able to, would you ever say, oh, I need to take more off this, I'm going to open it up more and cut it more? That's what I tried yesterday, but it still didn't hold the green. And really? It's only going to get firmer throughout the week, so. Wow. I think the key this week is lay it up. Just put it in position, get it. We played today with Charles Howell, and number 15. Yeah. The one, another one, way up high, green's up there in the clouds. What, you, what did you have in on 15. So I had driver down the right side, had 215 or 210, Whoa. I think. Yeah. I hit a three iron in there and barely got it there. <laughs> so Charles, we were looking at the front pin there, and his, I'm not sure, manager, some guy walking with him said, look at this front pin. We putted it down the hill. We putted it off the green. Oh, yeah. So he said to Charles, if you have the opportunity, if you cannot stop it on the front tier on that hole, just lay it up because the wedge, you hit onto a dartboard behind the hole, and it's just going to roll back to the pin. That's crazy, right? You That's got 220 crazy. to the flag, but you're going to go, no, I'm just going to wedge it 90 yards, wedge it 100 yards, and right. I'll have a shorter putt than I would from putting it 50 feet behind the hole down the hill. So is that because when you're taking a longer iron and you've got an elevated green, basically it doesn't have a chance to accrue like spin the descent angle? Yeah. So right. either spin or luff. I mean, there's some guys out here, Jason Day, John Rahm, DJ, those, Rory, those guys can hit it 20, 30 feet higher without trying. For me, it's really tricky shot, but they get... Those guys could hit five iron, six iron, and they're high enough to stop it, but I couldn't. So I'm either going to bail out. Well, I can't bail out anyway. Left, right, long is no go. go. So 
It's 80 yards short of the green. Right. That's fascinating, man. Do you have any questions for me? Um, who's your hairstylist? I, uh, I don't actually do much with the hair. It's, it's a dirty secret. I don't, <laughs> I don't wash it. I don't put gel in it. I do get it cut. I've been trying to figure mine out for years now. and I We can talk. You're on the right track. I need to follow you. See, what's you funny on. is you're the surfer, but I look like it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't yeah, surf. I'm a clean-cut surfer, I guess. That's a good look, though. It's a good look. You don't want to also, you don't want to on tour be known as the guy with the hair. That's then true. Because then Charlie cuts his hair and everyone complains. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. I'm, I'm known as the guy with the solar sleeves. That's what I... That's I like it. I, yeah. Is that for sun protection? Sun or? protection, yeah. yeah. That's good. Because in South Africa, it's a bigger issue. It is, yeah. So I try and protect my skin, try and save some lives. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, especially you're in the sun all the time. No, exactly. It's, it's also... There are a few other things. When you sweat... Sweat comes down into your glove or your hands, and you can't grab the club. It acts as a sweatband. Whoa. Yeah. That might have just sold me. <laughs> I'm going to go buy 10 pairs. All right. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on the show. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Best of luck this week. Thanks a lot. We're excited.